We're going to be looking in 1 Corinthians here in a few moments, chapter 16, if you'll be finding that in your Bible while you're turning there. Let me just say how much I appreciate your prayers for my wife and I. We were in New York the last several days, spent four days there. I was preaching, and the Lord blessed in a great way, and we are very conscious of the fact that folks are praying for us, and um, so it's a blessing, though, to be home. It's a blessing to be out of there. If you've ever thought in any time in your life you've been in a traffic jam and you've never been in New York, I challenge you to rethink that. I'm telling you, it's amazing. So it's good to be dealing with the traffic in Franklin County and St. Clair especially. Missions Conference for me is usually the most important, the most impactful, um, the most consequential meeting that we have. Uh, what we do in missions conference, learning about missions, committing to do God's work here at home as evangelists, teachers, uh, preaching the gospel, or supporting missionaries around the world. Nothing you will ever do could have more lasting impact than missions conference. Sending more missionaries, supporting more missionaries, getting the gospel around the world. And so it's always a, a very positive time for me. And I hope you'll make it that way for yourself. And we're going to look at a passage in 1 Corinthians 16 that deals with uh, the, really the way a New Testament church functions, especially in regard to supporting ministries outside of that local congregation. Uh, if you'll notice on the front of your uh, booklet or here on these banners... Uh, our theme for the year is charting our course. We've been developing that theme throughout the year. I've been taking it personally. I know many of our people have. Just looking at ways to improve our ministry, looking at ways to improve our footprint, if you want to use that terminology, going forward. And it ought to be the desire, I believe, of every Christian to chart a course in life that will lead you to a desired location. And I don't just mean a, a desired uh, geographic location or physical location, but a spiritual location. We're charting our course as individuals. We're planning for the future. We're charting our course as families. Boy, I appreciate it so much. The emphasis on the family at the conclusion of Brother Hoke's message today. Tremendous thought. But also as a church, we're charting our course. And in this missions conference, we're going to be looking at that theme together. I just want to challenge you to be present for every service you can be at and, and seek to come with an attitude that I want to grow in grace and, uh, and particularly in this world, area of world evangelization. So uh, we're going we're gonna to get into 1 Corinthians 16 at this time. If you're able to stand, please stand with us for the reading of the Word of God. If you can't stand, we certainly understand that. But I want to begin reading in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 16. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, says these words, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. So what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, he's already stated to the Galatian churches. This is what his summary of what he said about this subject. Verse 2, Upon the first day of the week, 
Let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Keep in mind Paul writing to this local assembly in Corinth. Verse 3. And when I come, whomsoever you shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. Now I want to look this passage together today in answering this question, how should a New Testament church function? This is Paul's letter, the inspired word of God, something God gave him to write to churches, the church at Corinth, the churches of Galatia, and the churches of the 21st century. This is God's This is God's word concerning how church should function, and I want us to look at that together. Let's pray as we begin. Father, please bless as we study your word today. Oh God, grant us, Lord, uh, just a hearing ears. I think about the words of Jesus, that we would have ears to hear and be able to hear what you have to say to the churches. And I pray today that, Father, for those who are in this place who are not saved, that today... The Spirit of God would work in hearts and draw people, convict of sin, lift up Christ, and use this all for your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to get right into the message today and and give you several thoughts. Most of my time will be on the first point that I want to make. And one thing we see in this prescription, this this, uh, instruction to the church there at Corinth, was that there should be order in the church. Paul is instructing the churches. Now something we should understand is that Paul had a unique ministry to the churches in that he was an apostle. He was God used him to establish churches, start churches, uh, establish leaders in those churches, and he had a unique authority over the churches. He's not just he wasn't the pastor of this church or the churches in Galatia. But he was God's servant as an apostle, and he's give, telling them that there should be order in the church. By the way, these, look at the word order in verse 1. I have it circled in my Bible. I have given order to the churches of Galatia. Now, we think of a lot of things when we think of order. We may not think of church. We may think of driving through McDonald's, but we think of what an order is. Um, but an order, he's, he's, these are commands, They're not just suggestions. They're coming from an apostle to congregations. He has divine authority. Um, I was just thinking about this, uh, Elijah, uh, thinking about where you've been the last uh, several months. You've probably learned a thing or two about orders. Maybe not. Maybe that never came up (laughs) in basic training for the Marines. Maybe they were just all suggestions. Uh, Mr. Wagner, would you mind doing this? No. Um, it's interesting. Hold your finger right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and turn to the left to the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 23, I want to notice a word in Acts 23 and Acts 24. Acts 23 and verse 31. Acts chapter 23 verse 31, it says, Then the soldiers, as it was commanded them took Paul and brought him by night to Antipater's. Now, the reason I mention this is because of that word commanded. These are soldiers who were 
given commands. And the word that's translated as command here in verse 31 of Acts 23 is the very same word translated as order in 1 Corinthians 16. It was not a suggestion. It was a command. That's why it uses the word order. Look in Acts chapter 24, if you would please, and verse 23. And it says, And he, Felix, commanded a centurion to keep Paul. The same words translated there is command. Now let's go back to 1 Corinthians 16 because I think it's important to understand when Paul says, as I've given order to the churches, these were just not suggestions, these were commands. This is, this is God commanding the churches. Sometimes we look at God's word and treat it like all it is is just somebody's opinion. And there are times when people stress, stress their opinion or give their opinion but there's sometimes that God says this is a command, and that's exactly what it is. He's writing the Corinthian church, but he also, if you're there in 1 Corinthians 16 and 1, he gave these same commands to other churches. As I've given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Now, what, is this, what does this order have to do with? Verse 1, if you're looking there in your Bible, and I hope you are. He says, as I've given order to the churches concerning what? Verse, the first part of verse 1, concerning the collection for the saints. Now, he wasn't talking about taking care of benevolent needs in the church there in Corinth. He's actually talking about getting an offering together, the churches cooperating together to help struggling believers in Jerusalem. And you say, how do you know it's in Jerusalem? Look in verse 3. He says, then will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. So here's a, he's writing these churches, and he says that I want you to get on board collect, with this collection to give to these saints, these struggling Christians in uh, Jerusalem. Now, if you, keep your Bible at 1 Corinthians 16, but I want you to turn, if you're able to, uh, back to the left, a few pages to Romans chapter 15. And here's a description of what's going on. Romans 15, this, and, and one thing this bears out as you go to it, is this, this instruction, this pattern that, that Paul is establishing was in churches around the realm of his influence. Romans chapter 15 and verse 25, he says, Now go to Jerusalem, go unto Jerusalem, Romans 15, 25, to minister unto the saints, verse 26, for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia, Achaia is the region that Corinth is in, to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are in Jerusalem. Now I say all that to just bring this out. When he says, and I'm back in 1 Corinthians 16, 1, when he says, this is the thing I'm reporting to the churches and asking the churches to do concerning the collection for the saints, it was, it was a command, not for something in their local ministry, but for something outside their local ministry. Now, the principles that are found in this passage and other passages in the New Testament, like give us a foundation for direction for churches today. And the first thing is, there should be order. Churches should follow the New Testament plan established by God in the Bible. God doesn't give churches the prerogative 
to develop ministries and plans based on their preferences or their own opinions. But it ought to be based on the Word of God. What does the Bible say? How would, how would God have us to do this? Well, here we have these New Testament believers. They're assembling with churches on the first day of the week and seeking and serving God. By the way, they've been doing that for a long time, right? Aren't you glad we're still in that same order? God is a God of order. Sometimes people don't like to think about that, but God is a God of order. And God's, you say, well, how do you know where God's order is found? It's found in this book. We just need to get into the book, read the book, see what the Bible says. You know, all of us see the need to grow in faith. I would think that's true. But faith is not stepping out with no direction. Faith is stepping in the direction God has given us in His Word. And relying upon God to bless and use our obedience to His Word. Much of the disarray in our world can be traced to a lack of order. I'm emphasizing this main point. There ought to be order. God sets, establishes the order. Why is the world so confused about what biblical marriage is? It's because they're ignoring the orders in the Bible. Not taking God's Word seriously. There are a lot of studies that confirm that one of the contributing factors in the failure of families is the absence of parental leadership, especially from dads. We need to get back to the Bible pattern. Follow the Word of God. There's much controversy today, heated controversy in some Baptist circles on the subject of women preachers. You may not see or read or hear about that, but it's a very big issue right now. You know, that could all be solved by just going to the Bible. The Bible's not outdated. It's prideful to think that God would want us to develop a system or plan, especially a missionary activity, This is based on what we want or what others do and not based on the Word of God. God is a God of order. And life works best when we take God's Word seriously and seek to live by the Word of God. We we see this order here in verse um, 2. If you look there in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, when were they meeting? They were meeting on the first day of the week. That's the Lord's directive. Now people say... Well, you know, could you give us maybe a Thursday evening service or a Saturday night service to take the place of Sunday because we'd rather go fishing on Sunday. God's churches have met on the first day of the week. I'm not saying we can't meet at other times for other reasons, but I'm just telling you, they routinely met on the first day of the week. And a part of their worship on the Lord's Day was singing and teaching and preaching. We can read about that in Acts chapter 2, for instance. And also giving their tithes and offerings, supporting the work of God. As a matter of fact, this is a part of the work that's clearly laid out in the Scripture, and I'm not going to go there this morning for time's sake, but Paul did something that many people today would consider uh, to be questionable. He took the Old Testament pattern of people bringing offerings to the church He did this in 1 Corinthians 9, how in the Old Testament, people would bring their offerings, the priest's livelihood would be taken care of, the work of the temple would be provided by that, and people say, well, that's Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 9 said, Paul says, that's the pattern for us to live by. 
Bringing our offerings, bringing our tithes, supporting the work of God, that's God's plan. You can't get around that. Any other plan is not found in the Scripture. So I thank God that God is a God of order. We don't have to wake up in the morning and wonder what He's going to change about His plan today because His plan is laid out in the Bible. Amen. In our text, in verse 2 there, Paul is instructing them to lay aside an extra offering each week that will be given to a special need in Jerusalem, in Judea. Upon the first day of the week, verse 2 says, Let every one of you lay by him in stores. God hath prospered him. Every, day, every Sunday, weekly, first day of the week, lay it aside for this special project. It would be systematic. It would be planned. Why? Because God is a God of order. These principles provide the foundation that churches like ours build the structure for world evangelization. Because it's not just, this is not just concerned about their needs in Corinth, it's about their needs, the needs in the world. And he gave us a, a very clear direction about it. And not only that, but in verse 3 and 4, he says there should be accountability. He said, when I come, whomsoever you shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. The word liberality is a translation of the word charis, which is sometimes translated as gift. I'm going to bring your offering to Jerusalem by those you approve. And verse 4 says, and if it be meet or fit or necessary, that I go along, I'll go along. You know why? Because there was accountability. Aren't you glad God gave us a Bible to follow, to, to read, to believe, to apply to our lives? So there's order. The second thing, and I won't speak about this near as long, the second thing is not only is there order in here, but there's cooperation. Church members are cooperating with each other. Matter of fact, look what he says in verse 2. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store. Now, based on that verse, what percentage of the people did Paul say should be involved? 100%. Every one of you. Right? We believe that the Bible is inspired, that we can believe every word that it says. And so, so there's cooperation among the church members. Members working together as a team. You know, there are two undeniable trends in America today. The first one is, fewer people are identifying themselves as believers in Jesus Christ. It's a very common, I think, undeniable trend. It's not a good trend. The second one is fewer believers are committing themselves to local congregations. Both those trends, I read, I read a survey about it this week, are very common. Fewer people identify as Bible-believing Christians, and few of those who claim to be Christians are... Are, are assembling and committed to local congregations. But I want to say this today, and I don't say this in any other reason but just to be true to the Word of God. That's not what we read in our Bible. Amen. In our Bible, church members cooperated together, and he was calling for 100% participation. You say, preacher, you act like everybody ought to be on board. That's because God acts like everybody ought to be on board. God never intended for his children to be mavericks. What is a maverick? A maverick is a nonconformist, a free spirit. 
God never intended for His children to all just be... Here's the Old Testament passage. The Old Testament saying is this, every man doing what's right in his own eyes. And when that's used in the Old Testament, it is not a complimentary positive thing. It's a rebuke. Maverick mentality is everybody doing what they, they think is right or they want to do. But I'm telling you, and we find in this passage and we find it throughout the, the Bible, that there ought to be cooperation among church members. But not only that, not only church members cooperating, everyone working together, but churches are cooperating with other churches. This, this, this what Paul is doing here is referenced in Romans it's rest, re, referenced in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. It's referenced uh, in Philippians. This is it was, it's a reference to the Galatian churches. In other words, these are churches cooperating with each other to do something outside the realm of their local ministry. That's exactly what we do in our World Missions program. You know, we heard from Brother Moore uh, today, this video conference, video chat. And um, we're thankful he's in Botswana. But we're, and we're a, a primary supporter of Brother Moore. He's a member of our church. But there's scores of other churches, like-minded churches, that every month or every quarter support their ministry, pray for them, are on board with them. Churches cooperating with other churches. It's the Bible way. It's the Bible way. So there ought to be unity or there ought to be order. There ought to be co uh, cooperation. And the final thing I want to mention in our text is there should be ministry. He's talking here to this church about ministry, about receiving funds for helping struggling saints in this particular need. He was asking them, think about this, they're assembling in Corinth. He's asking them as they assemble to be conscious of those outside of their own assembly who had needs at that time. Not just to be thinking about themselves. Churches met to worship, but they also met to organize and to contribute to causes that were outside their own local community. He's asking them to raise money for needy people in Jerusalem. Again, that's the pattern given in the New Testament churches, cooperating with other churches to take the gospel to places like Botswana, to take the gospel to places like Argentina or China. We support a missionary our church does there. Different Laos, Pakistan, these is churches cooperating together to take the gospel. An individual church like ours would be very limited in how far we, if it was all up to us to take a person and fully support them to get in some place, but we can cooperate with other churches. You say, where do you get this plan? It's right here in the Bible. And this is not the only place it's mentioned. It's mentioned numerous places. There ought to be ministry taking place. This is not unimportant. This is not incidental. These churches of the New Testament were established for the glory of God, but also for the expansion of the gospel. And ministry in the New Testament was done through the Lord's churches. I've read this New Testament times many times through. You know where ministry took place? Through the Lord's churches. 
That's the way it's supposed to be done. Ministry is New, church, New Testament churches cooperate together. So I want us today to you know, kind of wrap this up by thinking seriously about this subject. Churches, by definition, should be organized assemblies of followers of Christ, committed to the teachings of the Bible, and working together to carry out the mission of Jesus Christ. That's why churches exist. Not just, I'm not against fellowship, I'm not against social things, I'm not against that sort of thing, but that's not the right, we're for it. We've had a great worship service this morning. We meet to corporately worship God. We meet to fellowship together. But when, this, when he wrote to this church, he says, I want you to, in the midst of everything else you're doing, let's think about what we can do cooperating with other churches to get some things done outside of Corinth. That's the pattern for what we're doing. You know, I thank God for like-minded people, people we fellowship with, people iron sharpeneth iron. But church is also a place where we pool our energy and pool our resources to reach others with the gospel of Christ. And whether we're giving a word of encouragement or giving a faith promise offering or are giving time to go to visit a missionary. Some of our people have visited missionaries around the world. Anytime you're giving, you're involving yourself directly in the work of God. Done through the churches. The churches of Jesus Christ should be about ministering and reaching others with the gospel. You know, I think one of the things, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings, and we'll return to that after our mission's emphasis, but I think one of the things that really irritated and angered the Pharisees about Jesus was this. He came into their synagogues, he came into their places of worship, and he sang with them, and he taught the Bible and listened to the Bible being taught with them, but he also reached out to minister to those who are hurting. And, and that seemed to upset them. Churches, churches ought to be orderly. They ought to have direction based on the Bible. Churches should be cooperating, working together. But churches should be involved in ministry. Let's just make two applications. First one is this. Please listen carefully to this. The most important message you will ever hear from this pulpit is the good news of the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ. We're, everybody here, none of us are on the same place on our journey spiritually. Some of us have been saved for a long time. Some of us have just recently been saved. Some people in this room I know by their own admission, they're not saved, but they're seeking. They're wanting to learn. They're wanting to know. Christ died. This is the most important. I'm talking about churches having ministry at the forefront of what they're doing. It's not just about coming and hearing a Bible lesson. It's about how can this make me a better, a better Christian, a better servant, a better example to people around me. And the, and the most important aspect of our mission is that Christ died for the sins of every person on this planet. Jesus is more than just a spiritual leader. He's more than just a masterful teacher. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus came from heaven. He created everything that is. And He came to this earth with a mission. 
And that mission was to eventually go to the cross and hang on the cross and die for our sins. And He died. He took upon His own body the guilt of sin for every person who's ever lived. Jesus, God Himself, died on the cross for our sins. What makes that so important? Because it's our sin that separates us from God. We're not separated from God because of what part of the world we live in or how much money's in our bank account or what color our skin is. We're separated from God because we've all sinned against God. As we were praying in here last night, I had this thought as I was praying, if God would somehow this week just pull back the curtain a little bit and let us see how much He loves people and wants to save people. And then we could pull back another curtain a little bit and take a glance into that place where people without Christ will spend an eternity. We, we live our lives as though these things aren't really that important, but they're, they're vitally important. Christ died for our sins. and We've been gospel-saturated in America, but I'm telling you, there are lots of places in the world where they've never once heard the name Jesus Christ. Don't you think they need to hear also? Through faith in Him, men and women, young people can be forgiven and brought into a meaningful relationship with God. But without salvation, they're lost. They're lost today, and they'll be lost forever. And by the way, the good news is today is the day of salvation. (laughs) Amen? Now is accepted time. You may be sitting here today listening to this thinking, you know, what about me? What about me? Where am I going to spend forever? Forever is a long time. Where am I going to spend eternity? Forever. And I've got good news for you. Jesus Christ died for you. And He'll forgive you and save you and change you and take you to heaven one day, but you've got to come to Him by faith. The church is about ministering to people. It's about ministry. It's about helping people. So we make that personal application. We all need salvation. But then this other application, and that is those of us who are saved, those of us who are members of this church, or those of us who are guests but we're saved, we ought to be passionately concerned about what can we do to reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That includes local outreach. It includes local ministry. Sharing the gospel with people. But it also includes... We didn't come up with the idea that we ought to take this message of the gospel to the whole world. Jesus came up with the idea. This gospel must be preached in all nations... What can we do to do more? And this annual missions conference is focusing our attention on the urgent need of world missions. As we seek to grow in our involvement, we ought to follow the New Testament example. We find it here. We find it in 2 Corinthians. We find it in other places. Church members cooperating with the cause, like-minded churches teaming together. I'm going to tell you as I close... There are other ways to do this. 
missions and to do church. There are other ways, but there's no better way. And there's no more biblical way than the way this church practices missions. You know why? Because we based it on the Bible. (laughs) We didn't just base it on what was popular or convenient or the latest trend. We based it on the Bible. That's a pretty good thing to base it on, amen? (laughs) Functioning as a local congregation based on the New Testament. Aren't you glad we have a Bible? (laughs) I'm thrilled about it. Just read it. Read it. It won't hurt you to read it. It'll be good for you. Amen? We read it. We find things that we have been doing and we're thankful for. Sometimes you read it and you think, you know, we could do better than this. We We ought to change according to the Word of God. Amen? Do you know the Lord today? Do you have the assurance that there has been a time in your life, maybe a long time ago, maybe recently, when you personally receive Christ as your Savior, if not today, if you have any doubt about it, any uncertainty about it, today, why don't you come to Christ? We're here to help you do that. We'll go over the gospel with you, help you understand it. It may take more than one time. It may take several times, but we want you to know and understand the gospel. How to be saved. Jesus Christ changed our life. Thank God for His mercy. And if you are saved, especially if you're a member of this church, think about, am I doing, am I following the New Testament example of how God wants to use me to make a difference in the world? Amen? Amen.